Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Alana Yanez. Alana is the manager of Pets for Life Los Angeles for the Humane Society of the United States. She helped establish the program's expansion to Los Angeles in January 2012, and with the rest of the Pets for Life LA team, provides much-needed spay-neuter, TNR, veterinary care, and pet wellness resources to underserved areas in East Los Angeles. In addition to her role at the HSUS, Alana has had the privilege of serving as a commissioner for the Los Angeles Animal Services Board for the past four and a half years. She has utilized this position to create more humane policies and to improve upon the Department of Animal Services free spay-neuter voucher program, ensuring that most underserved residents of Los Angeles have access to free services. Alana, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And how are you doing today? I'm excellent. Thank you. So I wanted to find out how did you get started with Community Cats? My first kind of interaction with Community Cats was probably in college. I was a volunteer for the Santa Cruz SPCA, and we oftentimes gave out traps to local trappers who were trying to get their pets fixed, and they could also fix them at our shelter. So that was my first kind of introduction to TNR. And then I was a vet tech after that. So a lot of times the hospitals I work for, we sterilize the the community cats uh, that would come in from our trappers that were our clients. And then again, once again, as you know, as my career expanded and I became the manager of Pets for Life Los Angeles, TNR is something that is kind of part of the everyday work we do. It's just like everything else Pets for Life does in terms of engagement, relationship building, removing barriers. One of those tools we use is TNR also. Through your work, that's how you sort of got the the trapping bug. I assume you are a cat trapper? Yes, I trap for the Pets for Life Los Angeles team. Uh, We also have an amazing volunteer named Roberta Garden, who is like a 15 to 20 year veteran uh, cat trapper. And she also does, she does the majority of the trapping for us. I just kind of come in and fill in when we need some assistance. So I just kind of come in with a a small percentage of the cats, but Roberta does like probably 80 to 90% of the cats that we sterilize that are community cats. She does most of them. So it sounds like you, there's known as the neighborhood cats model. And then there's more of a trapper assisted model. And it sounds like you have dependence upon one main big trapper. Uh, It's something that I rack my brain over. And I know New York City has like a certified trapper program trying to sort of spread the wealth for trappers. But it does seem like we always tend to fall back into really depending on these folks that can trap 400, 600, 800 or more (laughs) cats a year. And I feel like we exhaust them all the time. I feel bad, but yet we are so incredibly dependent upon their help. Yeah. You know, people like Roberta are really critical to our movement and the effectiveness of the Pets for Life program. Uh, She absolutely loves what she does. 
She is an expert, a certifiable TNR expert. And I really respect and love the work she does for us. We also do train our clients if our clients would like to trap their own cats. <laughs> they get really excited when they're able to, you know, trap a cat. It's really sweet to see um, all the excitement on their faces when they call us and like, we caught her, we caught her. <laughs> it's really cool. But um, a lot of times people are just a little uncomfortable with, with trapping and, and they feel bad and they don't, they, they can't see their babies in a, in a trap and they want to help their pets. You know, they want to make sure they're sterilized because they have so many kittens here in LA. It's very warm in Los Angeles. It's, and so uh, the community cats here have kittens all year round. So they know it's a problem, right? They definitely acknowledge like, we have to do something. I have to do something. I have to get these cats fixed. But they're not always necessarily comfortable with doing it themselves. So that's why people like Roberta are so critical for our movement. And uh, I sure she and you and everybody has enjoyed the Trapper's High I talk about quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Um, today we got two in one, which is always like my favorite. We got a kitten and the adult kitty. Um, and they all had the additional toes. So they were all definitely related. But I, I told my client, I go, oh, these are the good luck cats because they have the extra toes. And she was laughing. She liked that. She's like, well, bring my good luck cats back as soon as possible because I feel so bad they're in traps. And so there again, she wanted to help them out, but felt somewhat uncomfortable with seeing her kitties in a in a trap. Um, cause they're running around and wrestling, but you know, I was really excited that we could, um, we could catch them. And there was one who didn't show up today, unfortunately, a female kitten, but I told her, I said, just call me when she gets here and we'll make an appointment. We'll come back and trap when she arrives, basically. For folks that missed the earlier episode, um, episode number 69 with Amanda Arrington, um, she spoke in great length about, what the Pets for Life program is like across the board for the Humane Society of the United States. Um, I didn't know if there was anything unique to the Pets for Life program in Los Angeles that might be different than some of the other programs that happen across the country. I think one of the unique things about Pets for Life Los Angeles is a majority of our clients are monolingual. They only speak Spanish. So a majority of the work that we conduct with our clients is in Spanish, but outside of the language and the warmness of the weather. So we do TNR, like I said, year round. I know on our East coast cities, a lot of times it's difficult to do TNR in the snow, you know, cats, they have to build uh, shelters for the cats on the East coast so that they don't freeze to death because it is so cold on the, in, in our East coast pets for life cities. Here on the West Coast, we just don't have those problems. And so we're just constantly trapping. Every month we are continually trapping. So that's probably the two main differences. You discuss a language barrier, but not necessarily a cultural barrier. No, not necessarily at all. Um, you know, people love their pets, all people, regardless of their cultural background um, or their income. And that's one of the things that we found is that people love their pets regardless of where they come from. Even though our clients don't have a lot to give necessarily because a lot of them are low income and they serve, they live in underserved communities, they give them the best that they can with what they have. So, you know, we have a lot of clients that will feed their pets before they feed themselves, and um, which is a very sad reality, but it's, it's very true for our clients. Looking for a great tool to help educate your neighbors about community cats? Check out this sign available from the folks at Lumen LS, a life-saving organization from Broward County, Florida, that believes no cat should be left behind. 
This sturdy, bright orange sign featuring an ear-tipped cat would be great for cat colony caretakers, shelters and rescues, spay-neuter clinics, or municipalities and animal control organizations. Education about the correct ways to manage community cats is exploding in the U.S., especially in the last five years. This sign will help you let your community know that ear-tipped cats have been fixed and vaccinated and pose no threat to them. The community cat sign comes complete with all of the hardware you need to post it, Buying and posting the sign will help move animal welfare forward and improve outcomes for cats in your area. You can view and purchase the signs directly from our Facebook page at LuminLS. They also have a colorful informational brochure about community cats plus lots of other resources. Support the Community Cats podcast and LuminLS.org by going to LuminLS on Facebook today. I get a lot of questions about what's going on in LA and there is a, an injunction of some sort that is going on or is pending. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how it impacts community cats? In 2009, there was an injunction brought against the city of Los Angeles because of our uh, TNR program that the then general manager, Ed Bokes, had been taking place in the Department of LA Animal Services. The general manager is the head of the department. And it was somewhat of an, an informal TNR program, but it, the judge felt that it was, and in fact, an official program. And there is some different opinions on whether or not we had the city of L.A. had an official TNR program. But this judge felt that the general manager, Ed Bokes, had, in fact, implemented a TNR program. And he ordered that we needed to do as a city and as a department, we had to do an environmental impact review, an EIR, before we were to move forward with this TNR program. So this lawsuit was brought forward by the Urban Wildlands Group, Endangered Habitats League, and the Los Angeles Audubon Society, the Palos Verde South Bay Audubon Society, and the Santa Monica Bay Audubon Society, and the American Bird Conservancy. So those were the groups that waged this lawsuit against LA Animal Services. And so for the judge to be able to make a ruling this EIR has to happen. And how long does it take to do a study like this? I think it can take up to a year for an EIR to be completed. The city of, of Los Angeles, LA Animal Services, has seeked out a company that has been approved to do EIRs for the city of Los Angeles. And so from what I understand, the last that I inquired about this, LA Animal Services has been working with a company to do the to conduct the EIR. It was a very expensive EIR. Uh, it costs upwards of $750,000 to $800,000. But we have an amazing mayor, uh, Eric Garcetti, who was able to allocate money for this study. And so that's where the city of L.A. is right now. We are currently conducting this EIR, from what I understand. And um, hopefully when it's completed, the EIR will show that, in fact, TNR does not hurt wildlife. It actually helps reduce the number of community cats in the in the city. And if you have less community cats, that to me seems like less cats hunting wildlife. Uh, that's the biggest concern of these groups was that, you know, TNR has negative impacts on wildlife in Los Angeles, particularly wild birds. But if we do nothing, if the city is continued to be um, caught up in this injunction and unable to talk about TNR to city residents and unable to provide traps to city residents to trap cats and have them sterilized, we will continue to have millions of community cats roaming the streets. And those millions will only increase. I think there's an estimated 3 million community cats in the city of Los Angeles. That number will just grow 
four, five, six, seven, eight million. And then what's going to happen to the wildlife in Los Angeles? I think it will only be worse for them. So I think TNR definitely is the solution. And I really hope that this EIR um, suffices the judge and we're able to get this injunction overturned. So just to be clear, at this point, no city animal services can participate in trap, neuter, return, or provide advice in that way. But yet private organizations are able to have a trap, neuter, return program. Correct. So they're under a gag order. So LA Animal Services, so there's six shelters in the city of Los Angeles. None of the employees at the six shelters can talk about TNR. They're not allowed to advise anybody about TNR. Um, The only thing they can do is provide traps to people who want community cats in their garden or in their yards to be euthanized. So some people are like, hey, I have cats and they're coming in my yard and they're pooping and I'm allergic to cats or I don't want them here. Can I want them euthanized. So can you give me a trap to trap them and I'll bring them to you and you euthanize them. That's the extent of their conversations with LA city residents. They cannot refer people to fix nation. They cannot refer people to like my organization, pets for life, HSUS that does TNR. That's a big problem. It creates quite a, a divide between the organizations, even though, all the organizations aren't really the ones causing this issue, <laughs> you know? Right, right. And so, like you said, it is legal for nonprofits and private citizens to do TNR. And that's what happens. You know, we have Stray Cat Alliance, we have Fix Nation, we have Pets for Life. We're all doing our part to uh, do TNR in the city of Los Angeles. But if we were able to have LA Animal Services also assist us in that TNR by providing vouchers to people, you know, they could advise people how to fit, how to trap a cat. They could loan out a trap and then they could give them a free voucher. And that was one of the outcomes of this injunction was that before you could use in this, let me just back up in the city of Los Angeles, we have a free spay neuter certificate that you can use. Any resident who makes under $40,000 a year qualifies for a free spay-neuter certificate. When this TNR program was taking place in 2009, people could use who were low-income, made under $40,000, they could utilize a spay-neuter voucher to fix their community cat. But when the injunction happened, the city of LA, LA Animal Services, could no longer hand out those vouchers to sterilize community cats. And so our local community cat veterinarians that would fix these these cats, right, and ear tip them and give them vaccines and everything, they now lost a huge uh, chunk of their budget because they were getting the vouchers from the city of Los Angeles, right? So when mm. this stopped, this really did a number on some of our locals, in particular Fixed Nation. You know, they they were getting a lot of funding from the city of L.A. to fix community cats, and they no longer could. Because, well, I mean, they still could, but they had to get funding from other means, you know, through grants and fundraising and whatnot. And so it just really put a damper on, uh, you know, their budget and the the great work that they were doing out in the Valley. And Fix Nation, for those of your listeners that aren't familiar, Fix Nation is a veterinary clinic that pretty much primarily does only community cats. So all the trappers go there. They have an amazing system. It's like clockwork. It's an amazing system that they have there. Take them in early in the morning. They're out by one, two o'clock. They release them and then you release them back to their colony. And they're very professional, very efficient. 
I love them. And mm-hmm. it's really sad that their budget got so heavily impacted by this injunction. So hopefully if we're able to overturn it, we can kind of restore things to how they were prior to 2009. So the spay-neuter voucher program from owned cats is still happening, though, yes, correct? that is correct. It is still happening for owned cats that are considered pets, right? But for the community right. cats, it is no more. It has right. ceased to exist since 2009, since the injunction. Has that voucher program been substantial in numbers? I mean, I look at that population as I call them the sort of the, the nearly abandoned cats, the ones that are owned that could potentially become community cats if, you know, hard times happen or whatever. Um, I sort of, I referenced, you know, Adam and Eve, and my objective is if Adam and Eve do become community cats, I want them spayed and neutered before that happens. <laughs> and so, you know, sort of looking at that, I mean, is the city able to make an impact in, in that arena, or is it just, it's one little piece of the pie, and that's just not a big enough chunk of the pie? No, I definitely think the spay-neuter vouchers make a huge impact in a lot of people's lives. When I was a commissioner for LA Animal Services, one of the biggest policy that I pushed was making sure that our door-to-door licensing team takes the free spay-neuter voucher with them and actually hands it over and puts it in people's hands so that they can sterilize their pets whether it's an indoor cat or an outdoor cat, because many people own pets, but like you said, they do live outside, but they still want to get them you know, vaccinated and sterilized. And so it's really important that that policy pass, because now we have our canvassing team of 12 people going door to door, probably what, five, six days a week. And they're actually printing up vouchers and putting them in people's hands. That policy just passed this year. I believe it was oh, July, good. 2016. And it passed right before I resigned from the commission. I resigned in August. So, and we also did another major thing, which was we opened up our spay neuter voucher program to all residents in the city of Los Angeles, regardless of your status, meaning you don't necessarily have to be a citizen uh, of the United States to receive a free spay neuter voucher. Because the reality is, documented people and undocumented people all have pets and they will all have babies if they're not sterilized. <laughs> so, that was a really important policy that LA Animal Services also passed. So those two, and also um, homeless folks, a lot of times they don't have the paperwork to show that they're poor because they're homeless, but we all know that they're low income and they're homeless, right? And so, and a lot of times they do have dogs and cats to keep them company and they have a very special relationship with their pets. A lot of times their dogs protect them at night. And so we want to make sure that all those animals get sterilized and vaccinated. And that policy was created specifically for undocumented and homeless folks who don't necessarily have access to the paperwork to prove that they're low income and worthy of this low income spay-neuter voucher. But they're all residents of Los Angeles, and now they all qualify just because they're residents. So that was a huge victory for the city of Los Angeles. And I'm very, very proud of LA Animal Services for passing that motion. And I'm very proud of the city council for approving it as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the more vouchers that you can get out in this current situation, I would say the better for all. I mean, the name of the game is spay neuter of anybody with four paws on the uh, concrete. I always say, you know, it's got to be spayed or neutered, whether they're owned, whether they're 
community cats, whether they're owned by multiple people or by one person or by the community, that they still, everybody's just got to get fixed. Absolutely. And I think it's been proven that the only way that we're going to get to no kill is if we reduce our intake. And so when we have put these vouchers, literally putting them in people's hands at their doorsteps, there really is no excuse now, right? Because before uh, low-income folks had to get to the shelter, fill out an application, show proof of paperwork that they were low income, and then have a voucher given to them or mailed. Actually, it was mailed to them. They had to wait another week after they went to the shelter and applied for it. It was it was a hard process, you know what I mean? Because a lot of our clients who are low income don't have cars. So a lot of them didn't know where the shelter was. They don't necessarily speak English. So there was multiple levels of barriers. And I could see that very clearly as a commissioner for LA Animal Services, because I ran the Pets for Life program. And that was the number one thing that Pets for Life is very good at is we remove any and all barriers to pet owners in underserved communities getting services that they need for their pets to have adequate veterinary care. And so I knew specifically, we have to change this when I was a commissioner for LA Animal Services. And we did. And that was great. Excellent. If people are interested in finding out more about the work um, that you're doing or questions about LA, how could people find you? You can find me on the HSUS webpage. I think you just go to www.hsus slash pets for life or PFL. I think you just type in PFL. You can also find me on Facebook or on via email. And I'd be happy to uh, share my information with your listeners on your website. And Alana, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? In light of the recent election, I think there's (laughs) – our country definitely has come to a crossroad, and we've made our choice clearly. And I think it's really important moving forward that, you know, sometimes I feel in the animal advocacy world, there's a lot of judgment of low-income people and the way they care for their pets. But the reality is, having worked in this community for five years – having served underserved communities for five years, not only um, five years with HSUS, but I worked as in uh, politics for five years for Senator Kevin DeLeon. So my 10 years of experience working with you know, underserved folks, the reality is they love their pets just like everybody else. And so we just need to approach this with kindness. I really would encourage fellow trappers and fellow um, community cat advocates to not judge people when you meet them because they look different from you or because they live differently or because they may not have enough to give their pets, but instead just share information, be kind, and just step forward knowing that these people actually really do love their pets just like you love your pets. We love our pets the same way. There's really no difference in how people love their animals. And I think if you lead with that foot forward, your interactions with people will be better and will fix more animals. Alana, that's a great way to close out this show, which is actually going to be our Thanksgiving Day show. So I thought that's a, a great way to wrap it up with great positive thoughts. Let's be thankful for what we are doing for the cats, thankful for the friends that we have. One thing that I noted over all the years of being involved helping cats is I created some incredible friendships with people that I would never have probably met, you know, in a a normal process. I and mean, we were all from totally different backgrounds, but yet we had this common theme of love for cats and that's what bonded us and became lifelong friends. Um, and so I think on Thanksgiving, it's a, it's another a day for us to, to reflect, to share and to celebrate what we're doing for these cats in our backyards and hometowns. Absolutely. 
So, Alana, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on in the future. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be on your show, and I would love to come back. Thank you so much, Stacey. Thank you for listening to a Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more Community Cats. 